Welcome to the Bell Podcast. My name is Marcy Timmerman. I'm the Executive Director for Mental Health America of Kentucky, and I am your host today. Uh, We are actually pulling in audio from a webinar we did October 18th of 2022 with Dr. Deborah Lind on trauma-informed social media. We hope this audio is helpful for you in your endeavors and inspires you to go check out the YouTube video um, of it as well. That link is in the show notes. Thank you so much. Without further ado, we'll jump right into that audio. Wow, Marcy, thanks so much for that very generous introduction and welcome everybody for being here. We're going to have a very exciting and interactive next hour and a half. And yes, there are a couple breaks that are added in between there. Is it possible to see the chat box while doing the presentation so that way I can see what folks' responses are? Or would there be a way for someone to read um, some of those uh, chat comments? It's probably going to work best if I read them to you, so I will do that for you. Okay, excellent, excellent. Because one of the things that we want to do today is to um, understand why people are here today, what people want to learn. But what I want to do quickly right now is for us just to take a brief mindful moment to get us collected. Because sometimes we move from meeting to meeting and we feel rushed and we're trying to stay, you know, move from one focus to another. So why don't we just get ourselves settled in right now, wherever you happen to be, whether you're at home, sitting on your sofa, home in a home office, if you're on site in an office, maybe you're out in the field and you're doing field work and you're joining in from your vehicle, but just take a minute. If you need to quickly go grab something to drink, now's the time to do that. If you're settled in right now, again, just breathe naturally at your own pace. Take a calm, deep breath in and exhale it out. Give yourself this time and your permission for yourself to learn something new, to connect with colleagues, to hear some stories, to be inspired, and to have your voice also be heard at this time. So this time is for you. As much as it's going to be me talking, this time is for you. And please use that chat box to make sure if there's something you really want to know or you have a question that you want to ask, make sure that you put that in there. Okay. I can. I feel like people are settled in and we're ready to go. Maybe some people are relaxed. I find that when I do this pause, that sometimes it gets to the point where people are so relaxed that they want to like fall asleep. And so why don't we come on back and be fully present Maybe wiggle your arms, stretch your toes out, and here we go. So today we're going to talk about trauma-informed on social media. And what exactly does that mean? We've done our 30-second mindfulness moment. Let's take a quick second to look at these little bubbles. I like to use visuals because everybody is a different learner. Some people are audio. They want to hear things. Other people want to see things. And some people want to feel stuff. So as Marcy mentioned, my name is Dr. Deb Lind. I have my doctorate from or- in organization development the University of St. Thomas. In OD, we call ourselves a lived experience scholar practitioner, which means that we do things to ourselves for learning. And then we also apply that in the field. And in my journey of earning my doctorate, um, quickly, I had a traumatic uh, flashback. And at that time, I thought to myself, with the options that were available, I needed to do something different. So I changed my studies And I looked at integrative care to help myself 
with traumatic stress from child abuse. So here I am today, if somebody would have said when I was a little girl, hey, would you be speaking nationally and globally and hosting a global chat that trends every Monday um, and talk about your experiences and learn more about stress? You know, thank you, Hans Seeley and all of those four founders before us. I would have probably said, no, I wanted to be an optometrist. That's what I wanted to be as a little girl. And here I am sharing stories and helping other people with their story to be heard and to meet people with where they're at with providing education, inspiration, and hope, as well as connection. But enough about me, because this is really about you. So share something about yourself. I can see some names here, organization that you're from, and where you're joining in from. Now, I know that we're presenting here in Kentucky, and perhaps there might be some people joining in from outside of the states and other parts of the states. Uh, yes, you can tell from my accent, my dialect, that I'm a Midwesterner. I'm a native Detroiter. So there might be some things that I say a little differently. If I happen to say something that you're you know, shaking your head and saying, okay, I have no idea what she just said, uh, let me know. I find that when I travel quite a bit, um, that is something that I enjoy, which is ethnography um, and learning about different cultures and where people are from. I'm going to see if I can actually look at this chat box. Well, Look at that. I'll be darned. The beauty of technology. Yeah. Hi, hi, Allie. Nice to meet you. I'm glad that you're here, too. You know, I have to say that this topic that we're talking about today, there's very little research on it. So we're gathering information from actually, you know, the field and lived experience. Let's see what's going on here. There we are. All right. So to get some conversation stimulated. Let's think about, you know, why are we here today? What do people want to learn? And who's on social media? So while we have an agenda of information sharing, what's important for me is to know, why are you here? Why did you choose to actually participate in this webinar? And are you on social media? What platforms are people on? I'm on Twitter, as well as Instagram, um, and LinkedIn, and I'll have my contact information at the end of our session today. So if people want to go ahead and connect and ask more questions, we can certainly carry on that conversation. Hey, Madonna, it's good to meet you. I love it. University of Kentucky. Hi, Dora. It's good to meet you. Emily, thanks for being here today. Rachel, good to see you. Oh, wonderful. We have a master's student. Excellent. I'm always inspired by up and coming practitioners because you really are doing something that other folks might hesitate to do. And at the APA conference, talking about a similar topic, it was wonderful to meet with students. Ebony, nice to meet you. Larry, hey, thanks for joining in. Oh, you're quite welcome. Awesome, Marcy, yes, okay. I will integrate a lot of different stories here. I'll pepper those in as we're talking and sharing time together today. You do meet people, like real, real people that you connect with and do different things with. So that's actually how Marcy and I met, which was on Twitter. And then we just started up a conversation and here we are today. So we have a person, Gary is retired, fantastic. And you're also joining in from Northern Kentucky. So are you all like on the border between Ohio and Kentucky over there across the river? Um, I've done some, some work in the Cincinnati area. All yeah, right, so Northern social Kentucky MHA affiliate is from both Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky area. So it's the metro. Oh, fantastic. So we might have some people from Ohio, eh? 
Okay. So I'm a big baseball fan and I've been watching and you know what, let's just, uh, let's just say as a Red Sox fan, I think people know who I'm rooting for. All right. There's different reasons why we're on social media and each platform has its own purpose. Now you can go on the internet and, you know, there's subject matter experts that will tell you like, okay, why do I want to be on LinkedIn versus Twitter or TikTok? Where's my audience at? And what I can share with you is that each platform has a different purpose. Some of the functionality, meaning how you use it, is the same. So, for example, you post content. They're all, you know, content posting platforms. There are nuances, though, that are different. So, for example, with Twitter, Twitter seems to be more interactive in conversation and dialogue. Or in Instagram, you don't really have that same immediate um, dialogue going on with a particular post. But you can on Instagram, for example, post stories more easily than you can on Twitter. So when we look at social media platforms, there's a few questions, and I'm glad this is being recorded so people don't have to worry about taking notes, is ask yourself the question, why do I want to be on social media? What platform makes sense for me, whether it's me personally, me as a practitioner, or even both, a researcher, as well as Where's the audience that I want to connect with? So with peer support, we find that Twitter is a place for us where we can immediately real-time respond to folks. And that's why we chose to have the PTSD and Beyond global chat on Twitter. And the other thing is when we look at LinkedIn, for example, that's a professional area of where we can share our work, where we can share the things that we've done. We can also share best practices and our research. So ask yourself the question, why do you want to be on social media and which platform makes sense for you along with where's the audience? So the people, if you were to have a party, for example, and you want to send that invitation out, so your platform is the party that you're choosing to connect with people. Where are those people? Now there is a caveat to this. Okay. There's there's the caveat is there's no, there's no um, right or wrong answer. And what I mean by that is some people, meaning users like regular everyday people prefer certain platforms over others. There are people who are on Facebook that have no desire to be on Twitter. And there are people who are on Twitter who have no desire to be on Facebook. There are people who are on LinkedIn that say, you know what, I don't want to even go on to those other four. I just want to stay in a professional environment. Then there are people who are on TikTok that are like, okay, why would I even post any of this stuff on Instagram? Because my audience is on TikTok. So you need to do a little preliminary research to identify where is it best for you. And it could be more than one platform. Another thing to consider is being everywhere and posting content inconsistently. So let's just say you have a book or you're considering publishing your research and you wanna get your research out there. If you posted the information on all platforms inconsistently, that really would um, be detrimental to people reading your information. Whereas if you chose maybe two platforms and maximized your time on those areas, then the outreach, so the return on the content, is more um, realistically possible to happen. And I say that from experience because when I first started, I was everywhere and I wasn't doing a great job. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. I can't spread myself too thin. 
Where are my audiences at? Where are the people that I really want to connect with? And who would find that the information that I post helpful? So I chose Twitter predominantly. So what questions do people have before we move on with platforms? Let's take a look at the chat. So some people are on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And some people, again, are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit. You know, Reddit is something else that, yes, for information sharing, we're looking at Reddit. I'm really fascinated by that platform. So what do you think trauma-informed means? So when you think about the phrase trauma-informed, what do you think trauma-informed means? I want to share, I'm really bad at keeping secrets, okay, like surprises kind of thing. And in today's session, we're going to be practicing what trauma-informed social media posts actually mean. And we're going to look at some things that are not so trauma-informed. And I was very mindful in crafting some of this stuff because I want to make sure that we do meet everybody where they're at because we're people too. And as myself, as a practitioner, I'm what I call a blend, lived experience and practitioner. So we've got some comments here in the chat. Let's go take a look. Will we be able to reply in how? Yes, you can reply into this chat box while we're having our presentation today. And that way I can see what questions you have or what comments you have. And then I can address those in real time. Because again, this is about you and your needs while we have you know, an education component here. I want to make sure that if there's other things outside of what we've prepared, we're addressing it for today. So what does trauma-informed mean? Trauma-informed means a practice of understanding why, why the behavior is happening and ways that we can support each person to be their best self. Now that might seem a lot. And with our training, I saw something that was recently posted on LinkedIn that um, trauma-informed training is, is more than a three-day course. And it is. What we're doing today is a very high-level overview of what trauma-informed practices, especially on social media, means. Now, if we were to imagine, let's just say we'll take Twitter, for example, that there's you know millions of people that have the opportunity to view what we're writing. How many times do we hear before sending an email? We don't actually send it out. So there's a phrase that I live by, and I also share this with people when we're doing trauma-informed consulting, especially for marketing and practice. Just because we can doesn't mean we should, because if we send out that email or send out that message, we don't know who on the other side is actually reading that. How many times have you heard, you know, I read that post at the right time, or I saw that piece of information at the right time, and it resonated with me. It meant something to me. Those pieces of touching someone is what trauma-informed means. It means we're meeting somebody with where they're at and giving them what they need in that moment. And the need is safe, it's validated, and it hears what they are saying. Let's look in the chat. Let's see what we've got. How can I repl replay later? I think Marcy's going to have, if I'm not mistaken, a direct link to yep. um, today's, today's session. That's a great yeah. question. Thank you for asking that. So trauma-informed practices is also from the lens of creating a healthier environment for everyone. And why this is really super important to acknowledge is because right now organizations are faced with challenges of how to retain, 
recruit, and also deal with the aftermath of a global pandemic that affected people's mental health, in addition to already having mental health challenges. You know, there's different statistics. There's one in four, one in five. So we have multiple layers of, of ways that we can help people with being trauma-informed and using a lens to create a healthier environment. Now, when we think about trauma-informed on social media, what comes to mind? This is a little bit trickier because again, on each platform, the functionalities are different. With Twitter, we have a smaller amount of characters that we can use. So a smaller amount of content that we can post. On Instagram, there is a limit, but it's a bigger amount of information and content that we can post along with different images. And the same applies to LinkedIn. Obviously, TikTok is more video-based. And yes, there's the, the captions with um, you know, speak to text that you can do. You can also do um, you know, voice to text on Instagram and Twitter. But what comes to mind when we think about being trauma-informed on social media? Now, if we were in a class, I, you know, I do uh, teach grad classes too. And so I usually don't call on people because nobody likes to be called on, right? I never like to be called on, even though I'm the type of person to sit in the front row. But what comes to mind when we think about trauma-informed on social media? Can, can people share some of their thoughts? See, we're also doing some peer work here because we're learning from one another. I can tell you when I first thought about trauma-informed on social media, I had this impression and this vision that people were educated and knowledgeable on ways that were potentially harmful for others and that we refrain from doing things like that. Now, that's a very, um, I don't want to say childlike, but definitely a very um, innocent way of looking at something. I, I, I like to believe that there are more good people out there and people who lead from their heart and do servant leadership. But what I found on social media is that it reminds me more of elementary school where you're playing in a sandbox and maybe there's somebody that you play with their toy and they don't like it. So they push back. Let's look at some of the comments in the chat. We need to be considerate of how our messages are received, yes, by those who've experienced trauma and consider all angles. Exactly, Emily. Here's some other information here. Choosing images that aren't going to evoke pain. Choosing words that aren't shaming or blaming. Exactly, yes. Make sure you know where current trends originate from. Some trends cannot have great backgrounds. That's an excellent point, Allie. I was in discussion the other day with someone and we were talking about um, reputable resources. And uh, it was supposed to be for, they were conducting research and they wanted to get my opinion on a few things. And so I said, well, what are the sources? And their sources that they provided um, were magazines. And so I said, when we conduct research, we need to look at peer reviewed information or something from a reputable source, right? Like Mental Health America Kentucky is a reputable source. <laughs> and I'm laughing because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And the education piece is so important. So with trauma-informed information on social media, what comes to mind also is that we all have the role and the honor of being educators. And today that's what we're doing. We're sharing information. And again, it's still very preliminary, this information. So thank you for your comments. Why do we need to be trauma-informed on social media? 
So why do we even need to be mindful of being trauma-informed? Some of the comments already touched base on it. One is because we're not sure whether or not the information we're providing is going to be harmful to another person. So if we look at being mindful of the way that we say things and the words that we use, that is one of the first steps of being trauma-informed. Now, how do we do that? We can apply our own experience from practitioners, from working with people in our communities that are already struggling. And we can think about how would I say this phrase? How would I not say that phrase? And we're going to practice some of that stuff. So some social media best practices. How do we maintain being trauma-informed and doing no harm? And some of our, our education, we've taken the oath to do no harm. We can go back and, and, and reframe maybe certain phrases that we see. We can also advocate for others. The biggest takeaway, and again, there are multiple aha awareness moments. You know, you do something and then that light bulb comes on. I'm going to date myself. There was a commercial a long time ago it was for V8 and the person would hit themselves in the head. Oh, I should have had a V8. There are some times where things happen. I think to myself, oh, we know that. Sometimes we might know something, but we just need a little bit of a refresher. The things that we practice in real life, we can also have the same practices on social media. So that's what makes us trauma-informed as well as to do no harm. If I wouldn't do it in my office with a client, I wouldn't do it in, on social media. If I wouldn't do it with a client in a corporate environment that is a high-risk career, I certainly wouldn't do it on social media because people are people and people are on social media. We might have a role, say, as a Leo, and yet we're on social media also looking for peer support because we can't sleep at night. Always get a second eyes on the content you are putting out the door. Exactly. So one of the things that we do at PTSD and beyond is we help people with practitioners as well as organizations, especially with marketing. What is the message that they're putting out there? So for example, maybe somebody has their research that they want to put out and there's a story that they want to share. Um, and what's interesting about this is when people are sharing their research and the stories, so their phenomenological studies, and we're hearing some of these stories, we're, all, we're also asking our on our end to be mindful about some of those details um, because they can be reactors. And having those conversations then also help other people with, again, those V8 moments. You know what? I didn't even think about that. I knew that, but I didn't even think about it. And that's where we're helping one another with educating, becoming educators, and then paying forward that information out there on social media to help other people. Now, there's one thing we didn't talk about, and it's coming to my mind, so I want to address it real quickly. When we are trauma-informed and we're posting trauma-informed information, what do you think one of the key things is that we're doing? In addition to advocacy, it starts with the word S. So I'll give you a hint. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, exciting surprises. I have a real hard time keeping. And, and yes, is my uh, holiday shopping done? Yes, it is. And I'm on stocking stuffers. So I'm, I'm always, I know exactly, right? And, and can you believe it? I haven't even given anybody any hints. I've just told people, you're done, you're done, you're done. So what is it that we do and we, we, this is like a really huge thing that we do on social media when we are trauma-informed. We help reduce stigma. We help reduce stigma. 
Again, if we go back to some comments that were said earlier in our presentation, we talked about meeting people with where they're at. So if you're on, say, Facebook and you've got a Facebook group, you know, and it's really engaging and interactive and you're providing trauma-informed information, in addition to helping to educate and provide that information, you're also helping to reduce stigma, which is huge on someone's recovery journey as well as you're increasing that sense of belonging because somebody feels like, yes, somebody understands me. Somebody is providing information and talking to me and with me in a way that is safe. Those are huge things. And I want people at the end of this presentation, if you would, to take a moment and to pat yourself on the back and give yourself an applause for actually doing that. Because the more that we can the more than we are. And I love this hashtag is stronger together because we are, we are, we are doing great things to help people. Allie. Okay. So the question that Gary has here is, so since you participate consistently in a social media forum, what approaches do you use when someone responds to your post in a manner that seems to be deliberately seeking to trigger others? You know what? I want to thank you for this because in preparing for today's session, I was debating whether or not to bring an actual real life experience that happened to me on social media. So since you brought it up, Gary, we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's do that right now. Let me switch the slides so we can have the values and risks. This is an excellent question. I'll share you with a little story background. Um, it was a group of practitioners I'm a non-licensed practitioner. I don't do any diagnosing. I come in after the fact and do peer support or collaborate with my fellow colleagues who are licensed. We partner together. They do, their, they do therapy. We do peer support. I made the comment about as practitioners, there's a huge value that practitioners provide. And sometimes I don't think that practitioners give themselves you know, um, credit and recognize themselves that being a provider is an honorable profession. It's an touching people's lives. I mean, my therapist, Dr. Krupp, she's retired now. I give kudos to her all the time. She's an amazing individual. I believe I could have done the work. It was better and more, and more life-changing to do the work with a person such as herself. And I truly believe that. I know other people have said, you know what, my therapist is the best thing. You know, I'm so glad to have them. There's a level of appreciation with people with their providers or practitioners. And this particular post, though, I said, I think, you know, practitioners need to give themselves a pat on the back too. It's not just about writing notes and it's not about the transaction of seeing somebody every 50 minutes. You guys are touching people's lives. Oh my gosh, that post was met with so much resistance. And frankly, there was bullying. And I was so taken aback because I thought, for one thing, this isn't trauma-informed. Two, there was an oath to do no harm. Three, the posting was actually a compliment. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I even went back and looked at it and I thought, how could somebody misinterpret this? And then I thought to myself, you know what? Unfortunately, the reality is there will be people on social media, just like there are groups of people in everyday life who do different things in a group that they wouldn't normally do as individuals. And they are there to provoke others deliberately and intentionally. So in our group, for example, when we do our chat on, on Monday nights, um, we have myself and then other moderators, we make sure that the environment is safe for people because it takes, 
It takes so much for somebody to put themselves out there once again and to provide a safe environment when there are comments that are made that could be potentially reactive. We ask the question, could you please rephrase this? So we have our own protocol that we do first is give the person the benefit of the doubt and seek to understand, right? If it happens the second time, then we, you know, when we reiterate, this is a safe place, there's no bullying. It's really difficult because when you're on social media, there are clusters of people who seem to be, that's their thing. The anger is projected, the, you know, um, Again, it's it's very um, no different than what we experienced in, unfortunately, high school. And how do we respond to something like that is you have to know what your boundaries are. So for myself, I rephrased, I clarified, and then I also stated my boundary that this behavior was inappropriate because of the groups of bullying and the attacking. And it was, I even received, you know, DMs and um, that were, you know, very disturbing Luckily enough, on social media, we also have our allies, our colleagues that also are there to see these behaviors and to have support from other people to say, yeah, no, I'm you know, really disappointed. I'm also a therapist. I'm also, I have my doctorate. To behave in this way is, is uh, you know, harmful and damaging. Now, I will say too that there are, are uh, individuals that might seem to be individuals, but they're not. They're artificially intelligence and they're bots. So when we're on social media, we need to learn and we learn from each other. We learn from connections, just like we do in real life. You have your friends, you have your people that you know will have your back that help to say, hey, you know what? Um, I follow that person or I used to follow that person and I don't anymore because I've seen things that, you know, they do, and it doesn't resonate with me and what I believe is trauma-informed care. Another way that we can do this, Gary and everyone here also, is by looking at patterns. In practice, don't we look at patterns? We look at what people say. We look at what people do. We look at, do they, are they compatible? Do they match? Are they disconnected? When we see, for example, somebody posting information on social media to give the illusion of community, for example, community. And then the conversation is going where it might be inflamed and ask yourself the question then, is that person a leader? Are they present or have they abandoned the group and they've left? And I've seen that also in social media where people, um, after a while you watch people, what they say and what they do and the patterns that they have. And people are consistently consistent on their messaging, especially people that like to, you know, stir up the water, if you will. And um, I would caution people that we need to be mindful on what other people's patterns are and ask yourself the question then, is this a colleague that I want to engage with? Or is this a person I want to engage with? Or is this somebody that I really want to just keep at an arm's length? Um, and then again, too, you know, establish your own or your own groups. You'll find the people that you resonate with. We all find people that we connect with, that we resonate with. And then there are people that we recognize and say, OK, we might be colleagues by profession, but we're not colleagues by practice. And that's OK. So and, you know, and that's a good segue into, you know, the values and risks. So why should I be involved on social media? What are the risks of using it? What are the risks of not using it? 
And what are the benefits of, of social media? So some, why should I be involved? This, this question reminds me of, I wasn't born back in the day, but I can imagine when Henry Ford first introduced the horseless carriage. Ah, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to drive one of those things, right? And now look where we're at. We're driving vehicles. There are people who might have the mindset of, you know what, I'm never going to be on social media. I'm never going to do it. What is the risk of having the mindset of, of never being on any social media platform? The one, the one risk that comes to my mind is that if you and everybody here has information, a practice, a hobby, you're a subject matter in something. Everybody has value and meaning and purpose, right? Dr. Victor Frankl, you know, he said, everyone's got a value and a meaning and purpose in the world. It's a disservice to not share that with the whole world because everybody craves that, again, Maslow, right? The need to belong. And how do we do that? We do that by sharing with one another. So you've got a special skill and talent. If you don't share it on social media, then what is the risk of not doing that? The risk is people don't know about it and that's a gift that you have. The other thing is what's the risk of using it? There's a, another practitioner. She's an amazing individual. If you're on social media, Dr. Pam Hall, she works specifically with veterans and she works with specifically talking about the liability risk as a practitioner of being involved. So to summarize Dr. Pam, she says that we're there again to provide a neutral type of support as well as to give information that is accurate and true. So if you see something out there that you know is inaccurate, then we say, hey, you know what, where did that come from? What's the source for that? Or yeah, no, that, that actually is not what DBT is. Let me help, let me help clear the waters here about what DBT really means. Because there is so much information out there, and it is very difficult for people when they're trying to find information that is true and reliable, that they say, you know what, this is a true and reliable source, and yes, this is in fact what this information means. And again, we talked a little bit about the risks not using, but what are the benefits of using social media? There's so many benefits of using social media. We talked heavily about educating, and there's one thing too that we really need to stress community building. So when we meet people with where they're at, we are also meeting ourselves with where we're at too. And social media is there 24 seven all around the world. So when here in the United States, it's eight o'clock at night and somebody across the pond can't sleep and they're having a challenge, guess what? They can connect with somebody here in the United States just as much as when it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning in the United States and somebody has insomnia and they're looking for peer support or somebody to just, you know, talk with them because they're having a moment of uncertainty, then they can connect with somebody who's also from across the pond. The internet never ends. I mean, I think, and, you know, the story about Las Vegas, you know, it's the place that never sleeps. Actually, that's New York, right? The place that never sleeps and Vegas too. The internet is the same way. Social media platforms are the same way. They're open 24 7, 365, and there's always somebody there, which also enhances what happens if somebody doesn't want to make a phone call to one of like our 988 number and they're apprehensive on doing that. They don't want to actually speak to somebody. They can go online. It's a safer way for them to interact and connect with somebody. 
Let's take a look and what, see what some of the chat stuff is. Oh, I'm glad that the thoughts are helpful. I appreciate you asking the question. In all transparency, I was debating to do that or not because sometimes lived experiences can be reactive to others too. And I need to be mindful when sharing those experiences. Let's see, we've got a comment here from Madonna. Personally, still I'm not fond of social media, even though it's a part of our life and we cannot practice or work without it anymore. And we will be isolated. I'm using it daily. Nothing like talking to people in person. Yep, I agree with that. Pick up the phone, let the fingers do the walking, do Zoom chats, try to connect with people in real life. It does save time. It makes you still connected with your family and friends globally. Yes, I absolutely agree with all of what you're saying. And I thank you so much for posting the comment here. I want to take a pause for a second. What are we doing here right now? Here we're talking about the values and risks of social media. And if you go back and remember the icons that I posted, there was one icon that I didn't put on there, which was Zoom, a different kind of platform, a real-time social platform, whether we're using Microsoft Teams or um, Zoom or another platform, we're connected here socially. I'm in Minneapolis and people from all over the place, all over the United States, maybe this gets replayed and there's somebody from, from India who's watching. You just never know. And I think that's one of the beauties of social media. You never know who's going to see your post when they need it. And, and I get emotional about doing this work because there are times where people will DM and reach out and they'll say, I were not connected. I don't know why I saw your post. I'm having a hard time right now. And your post is what I saw in my feed. And they make a screenshot of it and then they send it to me to say, you know what? It was exactly what I asked for. There are no coincidences in life. There aren't. Again, Dr. Bernie Siegel says coincidences are non-existent. Those are real-time miracles. And when we take a pause and we recognize those miracles, then we're able to see other miracles. Yes, we can talk about why social media is bad. I have, I'm a, I'm a mom to two kids who are constantly fighting me on about social media because they're like, but you use it. <laughs> right? They do. They say that. And at the same time, I'm trying to help them understand deeper that there's a risk as well as a value. Without it, we wouldn't be connected. It's the modern day telephone. Imagine too, when the telephone first came out, I'm never going to get on that wire thing. I'm just going to just, you know, go down 10 miles on a Sunday and go visit my sister. Well, now we can just click on and I can see my best friends that are on the East Coast. I don't have to worry about what flights are and what fares are. Social media gives us the platform to use it in a way that touches people's lives. I think that's the biggest takeaway of today. So whatever your why is, again, linking back to Dr. Frankel. Um, and by the way, if I can just interject one thing, we interviewed two of his mentees on our podcast, which is amazing because again, we're capturing that legacy. Your legacy is part of what is historically then captured on social media. So what is your why? And how can we help you with that why and use social media to support your why? All right. Someone also said, I think it was Lindana who said that, you know, it's here to stay. This is an image of something growing. Every platform is a seed and we can grow from it. We can also provide something else that someone else can take away. It's more, and at the same time, there's more education that needs to be done and allocated for what is trauma-informed practices. 
especially on social media. And I want to just pause here for real quick because what that means is, again, different layers. So from an organizational perspective, an individual perspective, a group perspective, a government perspective, a government agency perspective, a nonprofit perspective, a group perspective, a church perspective, a community perspective, and as well as our own, say, microcosm in our city, our family, and ourselves. So there's multiple layers about what does trauma-informed on social media mean, as well as the education. Now, there is something that's very hopeful and inspiring. Again, I touched a little bit about best practices. I want to share something with you personally about myself. I have an innate ability to see how things fit. Um, yes, do I have friends that will say, okay, put all this together in the suitcase. I bet you can't do it, right? And I'll look at it and just go, yeah, okay, guess what? It's going to fit. I have an ability to see how things fit, how things function, how they work, as well as um, gaps and then, and then innovative solutions for those gaps. When we're working with social media and trauma-informed practices, specifically from a practitioner's lens, guess what? We can also repurpose some of those things for organizations. Say an agency or a nonprofit is looking at their trauma-informed posts on social media as well as their website. Guess what? That stuff can get repurposed for training within the organization to train employees. What does it mean to be trauma-informed? What is trauma-informed communication with one another? It's all about learning and meeting people with where they're at and being mindful of key phrases. We're going to look at some key phrases. What questions and comments do people have while we're looking at time here? It is a growing trend and it's here to stay. It will continue to grow and develop. I like the bridge picture here because it's an and, an and solution. It's an and solution. It's a partnership between people. It's a partnership between practitioners and peers and educators and leaders and government and community. So being trauma-informed means everyone understands the effects of trauma, the unique needs of each survivor, and how to communicate with compassion. It's practicing all the stuff that we already know and being mindful in actually doing it. And again, there are some risks. Let's talk about some additional risks. One of the risks is to re-traumatize someone, right? Having lack of unconscious bias, lack of understanding, and using dismissive and validating in, you know, tones and, and ways of saying something. Remember Maya Angelou? It's not what we say to people, it's how we make them feel. And in social media, it's, it can be static sometimes, depending on the platform, like Instagram, I find to be very static. It's not as interactive as say Twitter or even a Facebook group. So we have to be mindful about using trauma-informed language so we don't re-traumatize and we are, are very conscious of our biases um, as well as maybe not understanding. Uh, one question that I ask people sometimes or actually it's a statement and a question, I don't know what I don't know. So what do I need to know that you know that I don't know, that I do need to know. Did you follow that? Good. <laughs> and it is, because sometimes we just don't know. And, and another thing here, this is a great uh, real quick trauma-informed example, is someone else, let's just say there's three people, and I'm saying, 
what else do I need to know? Because I know there's something that I need to know that I don't know that I need to know, but you know that I need to know it and you know it. So what is it that I need to know that I don't know that I need to know? Somebody else might say, all right, you're a 54-year-old woman and you don't know this? Okay, first of all, a comment like that would not be trauma-informed. Secondly, a comment like that would be very shaming and I might even be embarrassed or, you know, um, I might want to like, you know, push back and my native Detroit or East side girl, right? Hey, what are you doing? Right. What are you talking about? Well, we pause and we seek to understand. And maybe there's somebody else that's there, the third person in the conversation to say, we can't make the assumption and the judgment on someone else based on our knowledge and experience. Because to do so, again, then evokes that shame and that dismissive and invalidation. Maybe somebody just needs a kind reminder. Or maybe you want to know what? I really didn't know. How many times do you go on social media and you see these? Today was the day that I first learned that there are so many of those little tidbits of just daily life that we just don't know about. And again, that is what stronger together it means. We meet each person, including ourselves, where we're at. We help educate, share information if somebody wants it. And getting back to Gary's comment too, we can provide all this information, okay? We can provide all the information that we can and share graciously. We, we have at PTSD and beyond for over four years now. And if you think about every Monday except two for four years, right? I mean, it's <laughs> a lot of determination. But I can't make people show up our team members can't make people engage and we can't, we can't make people use the information. You know, that phrase, you can bring the horse to the water, but you can't make them drink applies here too. We can provide information for people to learn how to be trauma informed. Now, whether they choose to use it is something else. And I'd like to believe um, because, <clears throat> excuse me, I do believe in, in the goodness of folks that people will. And if they're struggling and having a challenge doing it, then they're going to contact Marcy or myself or somebody in this group and say, hey, you know what? I really want to get this campaign out. I'm so excited about this speaking engagement. I'm really jazzed about this event or fill in the blank. Can you help me do that? Let's look at some comments here. I love it. You guys are so engaging. Moved to the United States nine years ago, and I have been all over the world, and I cannot understand the disappearance of ghosting from a Yes. Okay. Ghosting phenomenon is actually something that's happening with many different places. So for example, this is a, a topic that I'm involved in right now on LinkedIn specifically because the topic of interviewing for jobs. There's so many people that are looking for positions right now that the um, ghosting and the template rejection letters are affecting people's mental health. It's affecting their confidence, affecting their quality of life and their mental health. This would be the subject of ghosting specifically, meaning what this is, would be something if somebody is interested in doing a informal study, even a pilot study to learn more about the why. If we look at organizations, for example, organizations, values, you know, people talk about organizational culture, organizational cultures, is the way that we do things around here, the, what we think is acceptable behavior. And so ghosting then has become an acceptable practice in certain with, with people as well as in organizations. Now, acceptable doesn't mean healthy. Acceptable then goes back to the, the, the 
way that things are done around here. And it's hurtful. It is very, very hurtful. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because one thing that we can give light to is, you know, what does Gandhi say? Be the change, right? We see something that isn't, that we see something that's not trauma informed. And we then have the choice to then be the trauma informed, to say, hey, I will then be a person who says they won't ghost. I even said on LinkedIn yesterday that if I'm ever in a position where I'm hiring people, I will make sure that every person does not get a ding letter, a template letter, you know, thank you for applying. We've decided to move on with other candidates. I mean, I think people, I mean, it's like you see them so many times you can start reiterating them by memory and to really give conscientious feedback that's helpful as well as to connect people. So I appreciate that comment. So let's try some stuff out. All right, who's ready to try things out? Can I get a hand raised? Can I get a yes? Woo, we got we got Marcy over here, double hands. All right, so here's some, some language that we need to be mindful of. We need to be mindful of using language in reactive words. Notice that I don't say the T word because what I've learned is that saying the T word and it rhymes with Tigger, you know, from Winnie the Pooh, the bouncy, bouncy person. Um, or animal, I should say, <laughs> it can be reactive to someone. So using words like sick, weak, naive, shame, what can we do instead? So let's practice. So here's an example of something that's not trauma-informed. Stop being weak. You need to toughen up. How many people have actually had someone say that to them? I, I had someone say this. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, you're a practitioner. We need, we need, we, we need to hold the phone. We need to pause. What do you mean toughen up? What does that mean? Sometimes we need to say what we mean and not what we say. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? All right, so how can we rephrase this? So this is where I'm really depending on everybody to be interactive, please. <laughs> we need to engage and learn from one another. So what can we say instead? I can imagine this is painful. And you are suffering. I will do what I can to help. Remember, the first one was about toughen up. So if we first ask ourselves the question, instead of saying you need to toughen up, what is it about that person's behavior? What is it telling us? What is it teaching us? What is it saying without saying? Remember, because some people aren't verbal. Some people's trauma is, is linked to verbal. Preverbal trauma, for example. Help me understand. State the observation. I, I notice that the behavior, remember, notice I'm not even using you language. I notice the behavior is anxious. Help me understand. I see that you're in I see that there that you're in distress. I see this is extremely painful. I can see it. How can I help? Help me understand so I can be of better help. Okay, we got a comment here. So we've got just mine. It's my I'm here to listen and help whatever way I can, which is kind of I'm my. here to listen. I'm here to listen and help and 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 whatever I can. You know what? Two things that are very helpful within the peer group and with people with lived experience with trauma is somebody to just listen. And the second thing is presence. You know, you go get your hair done 
You ever hear hairstylists? What do they say? I feel like a therapist. People tell me all kinds of stuff. Or a bartender. I feel like a therapist. People tell me all, all kinds of things. They don't even say anything. They don't respond. They're, what they are doing is they're listening and they're present. You know what? Thank you so much for that. Oh my gosh, I love my hair. It's so great. You know, oh, I just love you, Matthew. You're wonderful. Thanks for listening. I feel so much better. What did they do? They listened and they were present. They weren't on their phone. They weren't giving solutions. They were just present and listening. So we can reframe something instead of saying you need to toughen up. Oh, let's take a pause on something else too. Resilience, the word resilience. I think uh, in addition to ghosting, we can do some more work on resilience. What does the meaning of resilience mean? Because the social definition of resilience is that you can blow something off and it doesn't bother you. There is no reaction. But that's not what, what resilience meant. And that's not what research and resiliency means. It means I'm able to bounce back from a situation. But eventually what happens, just like that rubber band, the rubber band is going to lose its, its elasticity. Eventually, there's only so much of the, you know, the sea traumas that people can experience before they say, okay, enough is enough. When is somebody just going to hear me? When am I actually just going to be validated? And not just in a dismissive way, just in a way of um, an extreme need way. So let's practice some more. All right, let's try it out. Mindful language again. Oh, there's a comment in the chat. Let's address this first. I'll ask what I can do. To make life easier, I ask, what can, oh, what can I do to, to help make life easier or to make life easier for you? That's a great question because sometimes people actually know what they need, sometimes, and they're really looking for someone to say, how can I help you? What is it that, what, what is it that I can do for you that can make things easier? And why I say that is in, in peer groups, we've actually had people say, but they never asked me what I wanted. They never asked me what I needed. Sometimes it's the simple solution of asking somebody, that presence of what is it that I can do to help you? How can I help your life right now in this moment? Okay, mindful language. In addition to specific words, when we string words together, what do we have? We have phrases. Be mindful in using reactive phrases. This one, this phrase resonates with me. They did the best they can. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody actually said this. And thank goodness, right? You're doing the work. That phrase is a non-reactive phrase. Whenever I hear it, though, and somebody else says it to someone else in, in, in peer groups, you know, I, I have to take a pause and say, okay, we got, we got to pause on this one because the statement can be very reactive for folks, especially from abuse survivors. They did the best they can. Get over it. Why are you still upset? That was days, weeks, months. That was years ago. Why are we still talking about it? Why are you still bringing it up? Be mindful in the language. These phrases can be very reactive and not trauma-informed to put that on social media. I want to take a pause here real quickly and share a story. I couldn't find this post. I was looking for it so I could actually share a screenshot and an image with you. And what it was is, we were doing a, um, a chat and there was a, a new person. So a person that had not been um, part of the group chat before, and they posted a comment to someone and said, they alluded to, to stop taking your medication, just stop taking your medication. Don't see that doctor again, go find somebody else. Marcy, you remember that one? 
I tried find, I couldn't find it. You know what makes me think? A couple weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> that, that they deleted it. Cause I went, cause we also do a summary of our chats and I could not find it. And I thought, okay, well, we'll just have to talk about it. And again, moderating the group, we had to do a hard stop because first of all, we reached out to that person to make sure that the person who that message was directed to was okay, that they were in a safe space, that they weren't experiencing a reaction at, in, in any way, shape, or form because we would need to get them assistance and stay present with them. That was the first thing. Again, mental health first aid training. The second thing is to address the person who made the comment, to call it out and say that comment was not trauma-informed. And to tell somebody to stop taking their medication could be harmful to their mental health as well as their physical health. So we need to be mindful about phrases that are used and the potential for being reactors because we don't know what people's lived experiences are. All right, here we go. So how can we practice this? What's wrong with you? That would be a reactive phrase, not trauma-informed. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with the statement? What does it do? What's it rooted in? Yeah, so it does bring up a good point to delete, to delete negative comments so they wouldn't be um, continue to uh, be harmful. I can mute someone else from something, or and actually I blocked this person from our chat so that way they couldn't respond. Their post would be seen by other people who they were following or if they continued to use the hashtag. But there is a benefit of all social media platforms, and this is really great to bring this up at this point. Oops, just a second here. Is that when we post something that maybe we reflect back on and say, you know what, that wasn't such a good one. Maybe, oh, I wish I could delete that. You can on social media. Not like an email. Once the email sent, you know what, to retrieve it, it might say it's retrieved, but the other person already got it and opened it up. On social media, there's a function on all the platforms that you can delete something. You can delete a post. You can delete something, which is great. Uh, somebody who is, when I talk about my autoimmune disease on Twitter, for instance, someone who tries to say, oh, you should do X or whatever. And I didn't ask for advice, right? Sometimes we have to just mute that person <laughs> or block them or get rid of it. Oh, let's take a There's look at the great questions. responses. What happened and how can I help? Says Allie. Abby says, what's wrong with you is rooted in blame and shame. Something like it sounds like something really impactful happened to you. I would love to hear about it. If you're willing to share would be more invitational. And Alexandra said, she noticed there's a trend in social media. The whole medication is bad. Eat better, work out more, get a dog. Everyone right. so started to see that. That is definitely a trend that has happened always behind the scenes. And now is just kind of, I think, more open um, on social for mental health areas. So not surprising exactly. that that's a trend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing too about this statement is that it can be projecting what someone else is feeling. Mm -hmm. So sometimes with anger and with people who haven't done their work, they will project onto other people. I have no idea why I'm losing my voice, but we're going to go with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's called the Midwestern weather. You know what? It is really crazy right here. I mean, if you were to look it's outside. It's cold here in Snowden, Kentucky as well. So we don't <laughs> that's unusual here. So how we can reframe that is to ask the question, what happened? What happened? 
I'm here to listen. You know, if you want to share your story or what's happening right now, I'm here. I'm here to listen. And the presence, again, is so helpful because what I have found, too, even when we did our 30 stories in 30 days, it's not that people want to share the details. It's not what they want to share. That's actually a way somebody asked the question, how do you know? If I'm interviewing somebody and they are sharing graphic details about their story, I know that they're they're not sharing their story. They're a person who um, has different challenges that they really are trying to actually get a reaction from me. And they um, they like that kind of um, manipulation, if you will. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, they're People not, they haven't done the work to get to that solution phase, right? Yeah. Right, correct. <laughs> People who want to share their story, share their pain. They don't share the details. They share the pain. They, that's what they're sharing. So when you ask somebody what happened, I want to understand your pain. There's another person who's a mentee of Dr. Victor Frankel, Dr. Paul Wong. His work is in specifically in suffering. If you're on social media, you have to connect with him. He's in his 80s. He's amazing. He's still doing research. He's from Canada. And he hosts an international uh, conference. And I spoke there specifically about peer support. But when people, when you ask somebody what happened, they won't go through the historical details of what happened that was harmful. They talk about their pain, about why, why it's difficult now. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so let's try it out. I'm really going to depend on folks here to be interactive in the chat. So here's a non-trauma-informed comment. You're so sensitive. And if you guys want to use the search boxes on the social media platforms, you can put this phrase in there, you're so sensitive, and you'll actually see people posting comments about, please stop using this phrase. You know, it's, 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 it's not trauma-informed or stop using this phrase. It affects my mental health. You could use hashtags like stronger together, PTSD and beyond, hashtag mental health and see, you know, what are the nuggets out there that people are talking about and related to educating and where people are at. So you're so sensitive. A way to rephrase that is, this is obviously upsetting and reactive. Help me understand what's happening so I can help. The other thing that I wrote about this, I wrote a note to myself about this phrase, is that if we, if we see someone and instead of saying you're so sensitive or stop being so sensitive, we can say to someone, I see that this is, being, this is causing a reaction and you mean a lot to me and our relationship means a lot to me. Even if you're a leader in an organization, you can say you mean a lot to us. You mean a lot to me on this team. So help me understand what happened so I can better meet you with where you're at and we can create that trauma-informed safe environment. Because the other overall theme with all of these phrases that we're looking at, in addition to being trauma-informed, when we are trauma-informed, we're creating and maintaining that safe environment which then if we think about it from an organizational perspective, as well as a practice and as a community, we're embracing D, E, I, and B. And if you've noticed lately, everybody's adding the B part, the belonging part, because as human beings, we have this innate desire to feel that we belong someplace. 
So if we take a moment and notice it doesn't take like five minutes, it literally is a 30 second. Hey, you know what? I'm noticing that this is generating a reaction. Let's take a pause here. I want to listen. I want to understand because you mean a lot to me. This, if you're a practitioner, this means a lot. You're here because, you know, you want to work on it and you're trusting me to help with that process. Help me understand why this is so reactive. And then we can figure out a way to integrate that into the plan, integrate that into understanding. Let's say it's a phrase of um, nothing's ever good enough, right? Maybe that's a reactive phrase. I will be mindful when we're doing our performance evaluation to, ref to, ref to refrain from using any sort of phrase that alludes to not good enough. And one thing that companies can stop do doing is using the word weakness. So your strengths and your weaknesses, because guess what? A weakness in one organization is a strength to somebody else. That one item that you're never going to use again, and you're like, oh, why am I keeping up? Why do I have this anymore? And we're donating it is like the greatest, you know, goodwill find that somebody has. So just because something is weak to one person doesn't mean it's weak to everybody. So instead of saying strengths and weaknesses, why don't we say areas of challenge as defined by our culture, right? I'll give you an example, a real life example. Being a native Detroiter, I live in Minnesota. People here think I am really direct. I mean, like you are East Coast direct. And I think to myself, no, I'm not. I just don't like fresh tomatoes on my salad. <laughs> you know, like, why is that so harsh? I don't understand. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever, ever asks for a modification on their salad. Really? Okay. Well, it's the way that you said it. Okay. I said, please, still not registering. I'm still seeking to understand. My point of the matter is, depending on where a person's at within the United States or anywhere in the world, again, what could be perceived as a challenge could be a strength someplace else. So when we ask the question or make the statement, you know, instead of saying again, you know, what's your strength and weaknesses? Okay, what are your what are your strengths and where are challenge areas or areas that have been challenging and in interacting with other people? I would actually say in Minnesota, yeah, it's my direct behavior. But if I'm on the East Coast and I'm talking to a client or a group out there, it's like, hey, you know what? This is great. She gets it. Not so much depending on where you're at. Same thing yes. with working with people. If you're saying the phrase, you need to toughen up or you're so sensitive. Another person might say, I'm so glad that you are in tune with your emotions and that you have the ability to express them. I love that about you. Validate, listen, be present. So Dr. Lind, um, from an organizational standpoint, um, with these folks, maybe possibly in our comments, would it be best for us to maybe have that conversation and try to take it offline so that we're not asking them to kind of pour themselves out in writing for the whole sure. world to see? <laughs> sure. Yes. Do you have any suggestions for messaging around um, ACEs? You know what? Again, it, it depends on, it depends on specifically what it is. I, I, I think using more of a generalized statement, help me understand, I'm, I'm, no, I'm noticing this, not I'm noticing you're doing, I'm noticing, you know, fill in the blank. I'm noticing some sadness. Can we talk about that? Is my, is my observation spot on or am I missing something here? 
so it puts the onus using eye language, it may, using eye language um, creates a neutral environment where a you language, you know, you're doing this and you and you and you could then again be um, projecting and, and cause a defensive re response. So when we seek to understand and we're actually overt with what our intention is, then that also helps create that safe environment. What are other thoughts that people have? We have about 10 minutes and we're going to be doing just a couple more things and then we're going to wrap up. So what are other what are other thoughts that people have about reframing from something that is not trauma informed to something that is trauma informed? Some other other thoughts about being trauma informed is to challenge yourself to look at the person. Challenge yourself to look at the post, what's there and what's not there based on our experiences, right? So one thing that I like about best practices is that it gives us a foundation and a framework. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's always gonna be the case each time. You know, that's where outliers come in. That's where, again, meeting everybody on their healing journey with where they're at, meeting that person, but challenge yourself, right? So when I look at something, I'll think to myself, well, you know, okay, I see a pattern. Is what I'm seeing accurate? I don't really know. What what am what am I possibly missing? And then you can go through someone's thread, or you can actually follow the conversation, and then say, "Oh, you know what? Maybe somebody missed a post. Maybe somebody missed a reading." Know thyself. When you know your own boundaries, and you and you know why you're there. So the intention, the purpose, the vibe, your energy, what's being said. It, it reminds me too of um, I can say something like. Well, that's a really nice shirt versus, um, you know what? That is a really nice shirt. Same words, different meaning. Same thing happens on the internet. Same thing happens on social media, especially, and Marcy brought this up too, is with images. The images that we use, the colors, there's a psychology of color. And, you know, we know all this stuff. It's a really a reminder of some of these things. And then be mindful of clicks and trolls. If using photos, we have found always used to be positive, um, hopeful, and inspiring imaging. Yes. Um, people have asked about different um, applications of the psychology of color, you know, green, yellow, orange. Actually, orange is the color for transformation and change. We're very mindful about the colors that we use. Um, blue is uplifting. Um, just like in aromatherapy, orange oil is very uh, calming and, um, and, and has a way of, um, I know the research shows that it has the most effectiveness to actually um, bring a person from an anxiety state to more calming state that's still um, not sleepy like lavender would do. So when we're on, the, on social media, we need to be mindful of so many different things. Start small, pick one platform that you'd like to be on. Be mindful and intentional about what is it that I want to say? What's the messaging? What's the tone? What's the vibe? And then be mindful of, of um, groups and clicks, just like we are in, in real life. You know, we work in a workplace and then there's different clusters of people. Where do we want to be associated? You know, which ones resonate? Which ones are like, yeah, no, not so much. You know, wish the best for you, but that, that doesn't work so much for me. Again, boundary keeping. We have boundaries also. And then realize that, yes, artificial intelligence is a, is a reality on social media platforms. 
And there, there are people who are, are trolls. I think another thing that I'd like to share with people, when people will follow you, um, click on their bio, look to see who they are, click through their, click through their messages. If they have a private account and it says they have 13 posts and they've got 7,000 followers, yeah, most likely that's a troll or a bot. I usually block those things. Or, um, you know, I, I also look to see, excuse me, what the name is. Do they actually have a name or is it something that just absolutely doesn't make sense at all? Look through their posts. You know, what kind of content are they posting? Do their posts change after you follow them? So are they posting things that, you know, seem appropriate? And then the next thing you know, you're seeing something that is absolutely inappropriate. Um, take safeguards. There's also mechanisms where you can block people. You can report, you know, inappropriate postings. You can also help with making sure that the information is, is accurate and, and, and correct. So for example, if you're a subject matter expert in something and you're seeing a post that is clearly on, um, you know, that is untrue, Think about making a post that actually says something like, you know, I'm an expert in this field. This is something that I specialize in. And actually, you know, and then to go into that and help um, help dissipate the inaccurate information. Let's see, is anyone anyone blocking bots from their organizational accounts and check with followers? Um, is that a question for me or is that just a question I'm in general? all of our folks that were on there. I didn't know if anybody was actually doing that. Okay. We do because we do have so many bots that follow us that are, are negative. So I was just curious if others did. Um, but Gary it's, says see, the danger is that at times the number of comments, similar comments seem to equal more correctness or accuracy. He doesn't find that to be true actually, <laughs> but he's saying if it's said a lot of times, people tend to think it's validated. Yeah, okay. something else to be mindful on too, and that's a good point, Gary, is um, if you see somebody and maybe they have like, uh, I don't know, 10,000 followers, and then within a few months, they have like 100,000 or, you know, again, there are things that we need to be aware of on the practice of, of social media. Some people are, are wanting to have an image that they have a, you know, larger community than what they actually have. Uh, I've gotten feedback from people and people have actually DM'd me and said, hey, you know, I represent this marketing company and we look at social media profiles and we can see that your profile and your followership and your groups are all organic. And I've actually had conference calls because I'm like, how do you know this? What algorithms are you using? Because I want to know. I mean, I know what we do. But I want to know what other people, how other people perceive it, because again, it goes back to that do no harm. And I had one person who actually sat with me. They were down in Atlanta, which was super cool. And he showed me the algorithm that, that yes, my account and then PTSD and beyond has, has like a, a natural climb, like a hill. And he said that if someone was to purchase followers, that there are, it's more spiky. So every time they purchase, then their followership increases. And every time they make another purchase, then their followership increases. So to me, I want to connect with people that are, are doing um, good work, that are helping humanity and not causing challenges with these um, fake personas because that can actually be harmful. And we see that with um, our younger people. Yes, I'm noticing the same thing too, Emily, on, on Instagram. I just started re and, um, reposting more things on Instagram. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm also fi finding the same thing too. So what does the future look like? In the future, again, this is, you know, hopeful that trauma-informed organizations, school associations, communities 
will have advocates whose role is to provide support and act as a resource. This includes where there's training involved too for employees and organizations and within our communities, our school districts. So how do we wanna to learn to be more trauma-informed? Talk with survivors, talk with trauma survivors. Trauma survivors will tell you, you know, if they're comfortable, again, meeting people with where they're at. Some will actually say, okay, that statement right there, that was very mindful and trauma-informed. Thank you for doing that. And others will say, you know what? Nah, not so much. That one did not resonate with me. Or you might, they might use more colorful language than that. But most of the times people will say that resonated or that did not. Emily is saying we are very active on social media, but rarely get any comments. We wish we had a bit of more engagement. If anyone wants to follow us, yes, absolutely. Every Feel comfortable to share your handles. Um, Emily, I'll take a look at this and uh, follow you guys. If you want to go ahead and follow me, engagement is really important um, for social media. It's one of the purposes of being there to you know, build community, share information, inspire someone, touch someone's life that we don't even know about, and um, yeah, make a difference, right? So let's open it up to questions. I think we've got what, maybe a few more minutes before we're ending today. Yeah, we've got about a minute or so to wrap up. So thank so, you all so much. This is a recap on some of the things that we covered. Platforms are different. What's the difference about a trauma-informed response versus trauma-informed communication? If you think about it, it's attack, trauma-informed communication, and then also trauma-informed response. We're working with our intention, do no harm. What's our vibe and our tone? If you want to connect with me, here's my hashtag. Um, again, at the bottom, PTSD and beyond, my email. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. For folks that are watching this on the recording, feel comfortable to connect with me and um, we can continue the conversation. I want to thank Marcy for connecting with me and asking me to be here today, along with Mental Health America, Kentucky, and SAMHSA. And there was one other that I had to write it down because it's really it's okay. long. It's our Department of Behavioral Health. Developmental yes. and Intellectual Disabilities, who is helping support our webinar series. Yes, thank you so much and for everybody for being here. Thank you so much to all those who participated in the webinar, as well as Dr. Deborah Lind for that excellent information. We want to thank um, also Department of Behavioral Health, Developmental and Intellectual Disabilities, and the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services um, Administration, that is federal money, that helped pay for this uh, event. And if you have any questions or want to hear more from us, have topics, ideas, would love to donate, you can check out our website at mhaky.org. Thank you and have a good day. Be well. <music>